Welcome to Mark Connor's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au. Today, I want to share a few thoughts around the theme of finding hope. Finding hope. Uh, back in 2002, I had what I'd call an emotional valley um, that lasted about six months. I uh, wasn't sure what was happening, but it kind of took everything within me just to get through the next appointment, task, project, and I was more pleased when it was done than when I was engaged with it or leading up to it. It was almost like the clouds had come across my life or someone had shut the shutters and the windows to my world and I wasn't sure what was going on. Um, you know, was this a midlife crisis? Was this a spiritual wilderness or an attack from the enemy? I was a little bit confused and it definitely wasn't a quick snap out of it, say a prayer and everything will be fine. I was in this valley. And uh, with the help of um, a coach and a counselor, as I processed what was happening, I eventually discovered that I'd been living at a pace that wasn't sustainable. I was just going frenetically. And it was like my body and my emotions were shutting down and saying to me, we refuse to live at this pace. And so I had to make some adjustments and I had to um, just take a little bit more time off work and not just be so crazy, fast lane paced. And eventually I came out of that valley and I realized I'd been experiencing a form of depression, uh, a form called adrenaline exhaustion. And I haven't been back in that valley again, but I've sure been near the edge. You know, if you've ever gone over the edge, you know where the edge is. And so I can now read the symptoms of when I'm kind of nearing that valley again. It was, it was a very interesting experience for me in my life. What about you? Have you ever been depressed? Maybe you are now, <laughs> or maybe you have been, but you never called it depression. You know, the word depression simply means low mood, low mood. Your mood's a little bit depressed, a little low. The truth is everyone <laughs> has times when you feel down, when you feel low. Come on, you know, your friend moves out of town, or you failed a test, or your football team lost. Again, maybe, you know. Uh, you know, this kind of mild depression settles in for an hour and then sometimes it lifts, but sometimes it stays for a day, sometimes for a week. I went to see Geelong play last week with my boys and we lost, and it's still a little there after a week, hoping we can turn it around this afternoon. Sometimes that depression settles in for a month, sometimes even for a year, sometimes even for longer. And so depression is actually now being called an epidemic. In the West, some people call depression the common cold of the emotions. <laughs> Very easy to catch. It's not rare for people to have periods of depression. Depression uh, statistically is 10 times as prevalent as it was 50 years ago. Uh, one in eight Australian men will have a severe bout of depression in their life. One in six women will have a severe bout. Uh, women and men sometimes respond differently. Women tend to feel their depression more, where men tend to act it out, sometimes in anger and irritability or addiction. And unfortunately, men are less prone to seek help when they're going through depression. Uh, suicide, tragically, is on the rise in Australia. Every day, eight people take their life. Every day. That means in 2017, 3,128 people took their life. And for every suicide that's recorded, another 20 people have attempted suicide. Uh, six of those eight Aussies who take their life every day are men. In fact, three times, uh, men are three times more likely to die by suicide than road accidents. 
the biggest killer of young Australians is suicide. It's the largest killer. I was talking to a person last night who had an extended family member, a 15-year-old boy who last year just took his life. Listen to the news this morning. Uh, the fastest growing age group for suicide is 85 plus. And so we're living in a world where depression's on the rise, suicide is on the rise. And it's a bit shocking because, I mean, we do live in a world of great opportunity. No other generation has had the unprecedented opportunities for happiness and wealth and knowledge that we have in our generation. And yet we live in a time of great challenges with uh, crime and poverty in some places of the world, violence on the rise, the threat of terrorism, freaky weather patterns. I read just this week that in the Arctic area, because of the high heat, there's about 100 wildfires raging in the Arctic. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? And so we live in a world of opportunity and yet of so much challenge that leads to uncertainty and fear and for many, a sense of hopelessness, hence this epidemic of depression. And so the big idea of this message is we live in a world in desperate need of hope. Would you agree with me? A world that is in desperate need of hope. Uh, let's talk a bit about depression. Depression is a very complex conversation. And let me just say, any sermon or any message like this is not the last word on a topic. I see my messages as hopefully conversation starters. And so when I'm done, the topic's not covered. I hope you'll have some conversations over lunch and we'll keep talking about this more as a community. Depression's complex. It comes in different forms, has different causes, different symptoms, and there are different degrees of depression. One of the challenges with depression is it's subjective. You can't actually see it. If someone walked in here today with a broken ankle and they've got a cast on their ankle, how many know we'll be a little cautious around them? We'll be patient with them, won't we? You won't be going, hurry up. You know, you'll see they've got a broken angle and a cast. You're not also going to go up and go, oh, come on, let's pray. Take that cast off right now. You understand that there's a, you'll pray for them, but you know there's a process and, you know, it's going to take some time. Well, you know, depression, unfortunately, you can't see, but it's just as debilitating as a broken ankle. And prayer is good, but sometimes you don't just snap out of it. And people need some care and some understanding when they're going through depression. Uh, depression often leads to negative thoughts, negative mood, and negative behavior. Uh, sadly for some, uh, depression can be a sign of weakness. But I just want to let you know that that's just a myth. Uh, anyone heard of Winston Churchill? Come on, one of the great leaders of our uh, modern world, uh, strong leader in times of adversity. You know, Winston struggled frequently with depression. He gave his depression a name. He called it the black dog. The black dog would be there sometimes for days, and then, ah, oh, black dog's gone. <laughs> that kind of helped him differentiate his depression from himself. He was not a weak person. Anyone heard of uh, John Wesley, Martin Luther, other great spiritual leaders, uh, founders of whole denominations? They also had times of depression and low moods. So depression is not a sign that you're a weak person. That is a myth. Arch Hart, a Christian psychologist, actually says depression is a healing emotion. It's for our benefit. How many know physically if you didn't feel pain, that would be very dangerous? <laughs> 
If you did, pain is a signal that you need to make an adjustment. If you didn't feel pain, you would do a lot of damage in your life. And Arch Hart says depression is like that. It's a healing emotion. It's getting your attention that something needs addressing. It's there to serve you. It's a protective device for your heart. And so we shouldn't have a, a negative attitude towards depression. So what does God have to say about all this? Well, one of the things I love about the Bible is the Bible doesn't just tell us the victory stories and the high mountaintop experiences. The Bible tells us some of the challenges. The Bible is very authentic about the valleys that people walk through. And you name any Bible character, whether it's Job, Moses, David, Jeremiah, Jonah, Elijah, they all went through times of low mood, some of them so low that they wanted life to end. And so let's not have this mentality that depression is weakness or a sign of God's punishment or a lack of faith. It is often part of the human experience. And so God understands. Let's look at this first Bible verse coming up now. Proverbs 13 verse 12. Hope deferred or delayed makes the heart sick. God understands that when hope hasn't turned up, when hope is absent, it affects your whole well-being. Your whole health is affected by hope being absent. But when a longing is fulfilled, it's like a tree of life. God understands. Not only does God understand, God cares. Look at Romans 15, 13, our next slide. Paul says, may the God of hope. Wow, I know God's a God of love. I know God's a holy God. I know God's a God of peace. Did you know God is a God of hope? <laughs> May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. Uh, God doesn't just understand. He cares and he wants to be a source of hope for us. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Come on, you know this one. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a... That was your cue. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So in this world of uncertainty and hopelessness, God understands the impact of depression and low mood and hopelessness. And he wants to be a God of hope for us. Uh, there are many um, debates and discussions about where all this hopelessness is coming from. What is the source of low mood? Some people think it's unresolved childhood issues. Sigmund Freud was big on that. Uh, your current situation is because of trauma in the past. And there's an element of truth in that. If we've had traumatic past experiences, they can sometimes trigger our current mood. Others move forward and go, no, it's genetic. And it's about your DNA and your parents and your grandparents. And you know, there's an element of truth in that too. DNA is pretty amazing. It really is. You are connected physiologically to a whole family tree and there's influences there too. Others note that it could be environment. And there's no doubt that the environment you're in, the stress, the pressures that your environment creates also influences your mood. And so these are all factors. I don't think any one of them are the factor. And then in the 1960s, there was a shift in the area of psychology towards what's called cognitive psychology, noting that sometimes our mood is affected not so much by what's happening out here or in our past or our family, but what's happening on the inside of us. Our thinking is a big influence on what we're feeling. And uh, this view is reinforced um, many times in the Bible. Let's look at Proverbs 4 verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. Oh, 
above all else, have a look at what's happening on the inside of you. In, in the Hebrew, the heart uh, represented your entire inner world, your soul, your mind, your will, emotions. Above all else, um, yes, be aware of everything happening in your world, but think about what's happening in the inside because from your heart is the wellspring. Life is lived inside out. And so here's a focus on giving attention to what's taking place inside of us. Paul said this in Romans 12, 1 to 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? How, How do you change? By the renewing of your mind. Someone once said, sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. It all starts with a thought. Your thoughts often lead to actions. Your actions repeated become habits. Your habits be, uh, c- contribute to your character. And your character shapes your eventual destiny. It all starts with a thought. And so, again, this focus on what's happening on the inside of us. You know, human behaviorists who study um, what's happening inside of us say there's two general types of people. There's pessimists and optimists. Uh, Pessimists, of course, tend to think negatively about everything. Optimists tend to think positively about everything. Anyone heard of Murphy's Law? Murphy's Law? (laughs) Everything that can go wrong will go wrong. (laughs) If the possibility of several things going wrong, the one that is going wrong is the one that will do the most damage. Nothing is as easy as it looks. Everything takes longer than you think. If everything seems to be going well, you've obviously overlooked something. This is Murphy. Um, you will always find something in the last place you look. The chance of a piece of bread falling with the buttered side down is in direct proportion to the cost of the carpet. Anything you try to fix will take longer and cost more than you thought. Come on, guys, you'll love this one. Any tool dropped while repairing the car will roll underneath to the exact center of the vehicle. (laughs) And ladies will like this. When a broken appliance is demonstrated for the repairman, it will work perfectly. Murphy, bit of a pessimist, although some say he was an optimist. (laughs) So you got the pessimistic people and the optimistic people. The truth is none of us are pure pessimist or pure optimist, we're all a little bit of a mix of those two. What's interesting is that both pessimists and optimists experience difficulties, challenges, and even tragedies in life. It's just that the optimist weathers them better because of their resilience. The pessimist gives up and often falls into depression. The deciding difference between pessimist And optimist is called explanatory style, which is the way we explain why events happen in our life. Your way of explaining the events in your world (laughs) determine whether you end up helpless or hopeless or whether you become energized and encounter setbacks and move forward. And so uh, this is Martin Seligman in his book, Learned Optimism. He says there are three parts to our explanatory style. One is permanence. Pessimists, when something bad happens, they see it as permanent. Optimists see it as temporary. The other is pervasiveness. Pessimists, when something bad happens, they see it spreading through their entire world. (laughs) Something's going wrong, it's bleeding everywhere. Where optimists tend to isolate the issue, put it in a box and say, i got this issue at work, but they don't let that bleed over their entire world and affect their mood in every area. And then personalization. Pessimists always blame themselves. 
Something's going wrong, they're always blaming themselves, rather than optimists who realize there are many factors, other people, circumstances involved in a situation. So optimism and pessimism are attitudes or ways of thinking that we can choose. And the good news is you can actually change the way you think. You may lean one way or the other, but we can learn to change, to renew our minds, and to shape our world to be more Hope filled. Let's look at another verse by Paul coming up now. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 to 5. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. How do we do that? We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is a profound statement. 2,000 years ago. Paul's saying, you know what, (laughs) the way you're going to change is to renew your mind. Reprogram the way you think is the key to changing your behavior and your feelings. And now he's giving us a little bit of a practical key. The way you do that, you've got to learn to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ, to truth. Uh, Let me give you a little um, application of what he's teaching, kind of the ABCs of mind renewal. We start with adversity. Let's face it, all of us have trouble, difficulty, adversity into our life. Life brings challenges, difficulties. Uh, It's not always sunny. Sometimes there's rainy days. So adversity happens to all of us. Letter B is something called belief. When you go through adversity, you think about it. You respond to it. You react to it. And over time, your thoughts about the adversity form beliefs through which you process what is happening in your life. Let us see these beliefs have consequences. Consequences flow from beliefs, not directly from adversity. Adversity happens, we process it through our belief system, and our beliefs have consequences in our feelings and our behavior or our actions. Let me demonstrate this very simply for you. Letter A, adversity. You call your friend in the morning, they don't answer the phone, and they don't return your call. We're starting with really mild adversity. Now, let's say your beliefs about them not returning your call are, maybe they're upset at me. Maybe they're angry with me. Maybe they're talking about me. How many know those beliefs will have consequences in how your day goes? You'll feel pretty down. (laughs) Um, You probably won't be very productive today because of the beliefs you have about that person not returning your call. If in contrast to those beliefs, when you call your friend, they don't answer the phone, they don't return the call for a while, your beliefs are, you know, they're probably flat out today. I'm sure they'll get back with me tomorrow. How many know those beliefs will have different consequences? You'll feel fine. You'll have a great day. Can you see that your feelings and behaviors are not directly affected by the adversity? It's what you're believing about the adversity that dramatically shapes your behavior and your feelings. Uh, Let's take another adversity. You fail a test. Adversity. If you believe, (laughs) I'm stupid, I'm dumb, I'll never be any good, I'm not going to try again. How many know that will have consequences? You'll bail on the the class, on the program. If, however, when you fail the test, you have these beliefs, you go, you know what, probably could have studied a little more. (laughs) You know what, Um, maybe I could give a bit more effort. Hey, 
I didn't realize I missed that. How many know those beliefs will have a different consequence than the first set of beliefs? A uh, little confession, you know, um, I got my driving license when I lived in America. And in those days, you could get it at age 16, believe it or not. And uh, I failed my first driving test. Not a lot of sympathy in this room. Uh, me too? Did I hear a me too? Let's get a me too movement going on. Failed. Oh, look, hands going up everywhere. Just, look, wow, I have four or five hands. This is great. Six hands, seven hands, eight, nine, ten. This is amazing. It's a move of God right here. Me too. I, I, I failed my test. Uh, it'd be interesting to see whether when you failed your test, do you drive today? Yeah, yeah. Imagine if I said, well, maybe I'm not meant to drive, you know, maybe taxi is my future, you know. Um, but you know why I failed my test? I did two things wrong. One is um, I was driving along just a side road, and the uh, testing in instructor said, I'll just pull to the left, and I didn't indicate. <laughs> Little trick. I just kind of went, yeah, forgot to indicate. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I did wrong is uh, our test included going on the freeway, 100 k's an hour. So I come on the freeway at 80 k's, and I stayed at 80 k's and slowed all the traffic down. People still do that today. It's so annoying, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't drive fast enough. Now, now, I could have thought, I've failed. Guess I'll never drive. But, but you know what I did in my belief system? I can indicate. I went back again. I indicate. I can drive faster. You want me to go faster? I can, I can do faster. And, and I got my license second time. Got 100%. All I'm simply saying to you is it's not so much the adversity that's happening in our life. I'm not underestimating the impact of adversity. It's the story you're telling about your adversity that has the biggest impact on your feelings and your behavior. Pessimists at that belief system, their beliefs actually shape a lot of their mood and a lot of their behavior. And so we've got to learn to dispute, not the adversity, <laughs> to dispute our beliefs. I would encourage you this week, tune in to your internal dialogue. Tune in to your internal thought system. What are you saying to yourself about what's happening in your life right now? And you know what? If you'll learn to dispute and say, well, is that true? Is that right? Is that accurate? That's what Paul's saying. Take captive every thought and go, is this true? And if you can learn to dispute your thoughts and replace lies and error with truth and with reality, it'll make a huge difference in your life. Uh, such a powerful, powerful insight from Paul. Uh, let me illustrate this, and I'm covering a fair bit in our time today. I, I need about oh, maybe 10 volunteers just for a little drama today. Come on. Uh, who's good at drama? Uh, who, who, who's always wanted to be in a drama? Come on, just give me 10 people really quickly out here. Yeah, come on. G give them a clap. Encourage them a little bit. Where's my drama team? I've got five. I need, a, I need another five. So uh, just get into a circle. As uh, We've got a few more coming. Can I have another two come and join me today? Here they come. Here they come. Here's your moment to get on television. It's going all around the world. Hello. Hello, Russia. Hello, America. Okay. Into a circle and then just face to the, to the right. Everyone face right. And then just walk. walk. Walk in a circle. Okay. So just, yeah. And let's pick up the pace. Let's pick it up about two times. Three times. There we go. So just keep going like that. Well done. We've been rehearsing this all morning. Um, now, now, this is what your mind looks like. Spread out a little bit. Just keep the circle going. This, and keep the speed up a little bit, okay? This is what your brain looks like. 
It's a beehive, an ant nest of activity. There are thoughts, but in fact, there's a lot more than these. Even while I'm talking right now, you're thinking of all kinds of stuff. What's for lunch? Your football team lost. You know, it's, it's all happening. So here's all these thoughts going through your mind. And so what we've got to learn to do, pause. We've got to take captive every thought. And here's a thought that's saying, Mark, you're an idiot. Don't apologize. Stay in character. <laughs> Mark, you're an idiot. Okay? That's a thought. Buzzes through my mind. I have to pause and say, well, am I an idiot? <laughs> yes. And I have to say, I've done some idiotic things, but, but I'm not an idiot. I have to dispute and reject that thought. Did you stay right there? Let's keep it going. Thoughts buzzing around in your mind. Uh, this is a, a gender-neutral example. I'm not saying I have 10 female voices in my head, okay? <laughs> so uh, we got some more thought. Pause. He, he, here's another thought here, and this thought saying, Mark, you're a failure. You're a failure. <laughs> Sign this guy up for the drama team. <laughs> and so I have to dispute that and say, am I a failure? <laughs> well, I have failed many times. I failed my tests, my driving tests. But failing doesn't make you a failure. I have to dispute that and say, no, just stay there. I, I'm not a failure. Keep, keep going. Um, there are other thoughts that regenerate, and they come in here. So uh, let's pause. Here's, here's another thought. And this thought saying, no one likes you. <laughs> She's too nice for this role. <laughs> There's another thought saying, no one likes you. I have to dispute that and say, well, is that true? There are people who don't like me, but my wife likes me. My dog likes me. <laughs> and so I have to reject that. Now, just come over here and, and, and form a little triangle and put your arms on each other's shoulders. If you're not careful, you take these thoughts. You're an idiot. You're a failure. No one likes you. And you've got a little stronghold of rejection right here. This is what happens in our mind unless we dispute and replace them with truth. This is what happens. Let's give our drama team a big clap. Thank you, thank you. And so I want to encourage you today. There are many causes of depression. Uh, sometimes depression's got physiological causes and may need some medicine to balance that out. I'm, I'm not here as the final word on depression, but whatever your cause is, your thinking has a huge impact on your feelings and your behavior. And so the wisdom of the scripture thousands of years ago, well before psychology was even a, a field of study, is telling us, guard your heart. What's happening inside flows out into your life. You want to change your life? Change your thinking. You don't have to be locked into patterns that you grew up with or your environment or your family. You can change your thoughts. How do we do that? We take captive every thought. We dispute it and we replace lies with truth. We begin to reshape our lives. As we bring this message to the possibility of a conclusion, uh, let's look at this next verse. I love it. In Hebrews 6 verse 19, uh, I love this verse. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Hope is something you can have, not something you just do. 
See, Christian hope isn't just wishful thinking. Uh, You know, look on the bright side. (laughs) Hope for the best. Uh, It's not blind optimism. We can have hope. We can possess hope. And the writer here says it's like an anchor to the soul. See, hope is only as good as what you've attached it to. (laughs) If you're hoping in something that has no certainty, no reliability, then the hope itself has no power. Hope is only as powerful as what you've attached it to. Our hope is anchored, and it's uh, an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Let me give you three areas where I think we can find hope today. Whatever adversity you may be going through, there are many uncertainties in life. I want to give you three certainties. Number one is God's presence. God's presence. One of the names of God is Jehovah Shammah. I am the God who is always there. There is no place, your past, present, future, good, bad, mountain, valley top. There's no place in your life where God is not there. And although uh, people can be uncertain, circumstances can be uncertain, we have a certainty that God will never, ever abandon you. God will never, ever abandon you. He'll be with you in the fire, through the fire, in the valley, through the valley. That's an anchor for the soul. God, I may not feel you. I may not always know what and why stuff is happening, but you are with me. Number two is God's purpose. Often we want to know, why is stuff happening? Why did God allow this? And we don't always get the answer in this life to the big why. But God does say that I have a purpose. And God has this way of orchestrating everything in our life for an ultimate purpose. It's a bit like a tapestry. Ever seen one of those tapestries from the back and they just are full of all of this you know, dark and light threads and you go, what is that? Then you turn it over and you go, wow. I think eternity will be the grand turning over of our life and stuff that we just didn't understand. God will give us some clarity on. Uh, You know the story of Joseph. Uh, He had some dreams, but his brothers were jealous, threw him in a pit, beat him up, and he ended up in prison for 13 years. Talk about adversity. What was he going to believe about that adversity? I'm sure his mind (laughs) had a lot of stuff happening, but... After 13 long years, he was promoted. He re-encountered his brothers who had thrown him into that pit. And he says this amazing statement in Genesis 50 verse 20. You meant it for evil. It was wrong. It was hurtful. But God used it for good. What a belief system. It's a belief system that understands God's presence, God's purpose, as it were. There's a belief in providence. Without that belief, he would have ended up a bitter, twisted, angry old man. Because the adversity would naturally create that. But he chose to renew his mind and to shape, anchor his soul on God's with me in this prison. And maybe he's even got a purpose for it. That's something you can have. And then number three is God's promise. What God has said to you, what he's promised you, he will do. God is a God who keeps his word. And so how about you today? How's hope in your world? Are you processing some low mood right now? Uh, That's okay. It's a normal part of the human experience. And so our prayer here at Bayside will be a community where no one does life alone. And so if you're working through some depression, hey, don't bury that. Don't hide that. Talk about it. 
with a, with a pastor, with a counselor. And let's be a community. Let's go to this final slide. I love this prayer. I'm going to finish with this. Let's be a community where we tap into this God of hope. And maybe we be a people who overflow with hope. So when we go out from this place, we go out into our world being dispensers of hope into a world that desperately needs it. Everyone said amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au.